Hey everyone, this is Logan Campbell and welcome to my show. I'm a happy husband, a proud father, former police officer, and a fitness and movie nerd. Basically, an all-around regular guy. But I wanted more, so I started this podcast to talk about personal development and self-improvement, and I created a personal development program to go along with it that I call The 147. This program has forever changed my life. My goal is to reach one person each day and forever change theirs. Thanks for listening, and welcome to Little Hollow Life. All right, everybody, welcome back to Little Hollow Life. Um, thank you for, for listening here. Uh, just, uh, I wanted to, to jump in really quickly. I'm very excited. This is a, a, an interview episode um, with a good friend of mine by the name of Nick, Nick Ruggiero. Uh, he was a police officer in uh, the Virgin state of Virginia, and he and I became friends in 2020. You might have heard him on the Roll Call Room podcast where I was on their show. Um, he was on my <laughs> my shortly lived uh, movie podcast as well. Um, Nick's a great friend, and I was I was very excited to get him on the show. Uh, I just I did want to warn you for some reason my microphone wasn't picking up, so the audio on my end is just from my my crappy computer's microphone. It's not my actual microphone, which I'm not too happy about. I don't know what happened with, with Squadcast. I'm going to have to to look at what happened, but I'm sorry for the, the, the audio quality. It, it's poor on my end. So it's a little frustrating to, to get that out there, but it is what it is. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't re-record it, but, uh, so uh, I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. I'm very excited to, to release it. I am going to cut it in half, uh, so you'll have part one today, and then part two will come out next week. Um, that way I can keep these episodes a little bit shorter. I know that, that people like a little bit shorter episodes. Um, if you want to support the show, you can, you can follow the link that I have in the, the bottom of the description here, or you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram, TikTok, or in my Facebook uh, you can either you know subscribe to the show for nine ninety nine, four ninety nine, ninety nine cents a month, or you can also uh, you know support the show through buying something from Tiger Fitness through my link. It's a link that's specific to me. I make commission off of it. So if you need some whey protein, some energy drinks, anything like that, uh, check out Tiger Fitness. Uh, the Tiger Fitness link in my bio. So without further ado, here is my poorly recorded audio of my interview with Nick Ruggiero. Dude, I have, I have those, and I have the in ear, the ones that I've been training with. Yeah, I love them. See, I do integrity interviews, uh, and so these, the ones in the ear, I start to like sweat, and then I'm like, I feel like when I go to pull them out, they like disconnect. Like I gotta put them back in. Like they're, they they, they disconnect when you pull them out. I don't know why. That's weird. Yeah, yeah, I have my the ones that are disconnects. like. That's odd. I, maybe it's my, mine are the sport ones. I got them for free, so I mean it's it's whatever. But they like. I usually I, I have to have like an over ear design, if I'm doing yes. Bluetooth because I get so sweaty and it's like those little things just fall out. I don't know what it is with the inside of my ear, but it's it's like it's really strange and it doesn't fit anything. But these are fantastic. There's some of the yeah, best headphones I've ever I, used. I don't have the ones that wrap around the ear, but I need those because, like, when I start to sweat, it's like it's like the inside of like a like a link sausage. My ear yeah. canal. Just... <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand exactly. You, you shaved your beard, like it's all trimmed up. What? Yeah, buddy, I changed it, man. 
last time I saw you, it was like this great big bushy thing, like. You know, it's been a there's been a lot of change, man. A lot of lot of, I'd say like a lot of soul searching and forgiveness and and just change. Uh, I think in the last six months, it's been very very different, very different direction for me. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think leaving law enforcement in the manner in which I did created a lot of like a lot of anger a lot of uh sense of betrayal and when that happens for a long period of time it, it tends to fester and then that's all you're focusing on you're just focusing on the hate and you're focusing in on you know proving your point but not realizing that while you're trying to prove that point really not dealing with any of the stuff like you're not dealing with any of the, the the trauma or any of the you know taking care of yourself and it got to the point where it was like i wasn't i wasn't taking care of myself in any manner <laughs> grooming was one of them <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know and I, and I, when i left law enforcement uh thank goodness i was able to find a job but it was a job that i was not happy with uh it was a job I wasn't proud of it. I wasn't happy with it. It didn't fulfill me at all, but I needed a job. And you you know what that's like. You know, yeah. you go from a, a guaranteed paycheck every two weeks. And then if the water furnace goes, I could pick up a couple of extra shifts and I could pay for that water furnace real quick. And when that disappears, your whole lifestyle change, your whole financial lifestyle change and changes. And for me, going from where I went to to that job, I was miserable, man. Um, and there was a lot of trauma that happened with that job because I used to take the train into work every single day yeah. into D into Washington D.C. And that train would pass my old police headquarters, so it was like a re a re trauma every single day, <laughs> five days a week, and. Um, you know, I, I wrote a lot of books on that train ride. And I always remember I would get right to where my old agency was and I would look up and it didn't matter how much of a good mood I was in and how I was making progress on writing the book. I would close my laptop and I would sit there and just be depressed. Um, depressed because I had to see that and I was going somewhere that I was not proud of. And um, it was not good. And that went on for like a little over a year. Uh, and the podcast was going on. Uh, podcast was doing great. Um, but again, you guys was, were hammering them for a while. Yeah, we, we were, you know, Mike and I were, we were rolling <coughs> we were one, one a week, uh, sometimes two, three a week. And, and you know, while that was going on, um, you know, it's still... It, I wasn't dealing with anything that the podcast grew into just 100% animosity. It just grew into being angry all of the time. And when my old chief from my old agency was removed, I was a huge void. It was happiness, but there was void because it was like, okay, now who, who do I focus on? Mm -hmm. Cause that's, that's the guy that needed to go. So now that he's gone, now, now what do I do? 
Yeah. Yeah. And and I had always made a promise on the podcast that once he was gone, that would be the end of talking about my old agency. And so then there was a huge void. And um Dude, that's so I weird because I, I don't want to interrupt you. But no, no, that good. is so weird because I literally just had this conversation with my wife last last night or two nights ago about the how, void. Well, like after because I just I just was out for a year in July. July was my year. Holy it's been macro. I know it's been that long. I can't believe that, man. So like when I was talking to her, we were on our way back home from we did like a date night. We went out to like crumble cookies and into all that stuff. I, you, I I started keto two days ago and you had to put that post up there. (laughs) Dude, carbs are life, man. You got to have them. You got to have them. I'm sorry, bro. (laughs) I got to drop some LBs. (laughs) (laughs) I can help you out with that. I I can. Yeah. Don't don't worry. But I I literally said something to my wife. I said, because she was asking me if I'd heard anything about the PD that I was at, like how things were going. And I said, you know, after my year passed, I stopped asking because it was like, you know, I, I gave myself that year to sort of be, like you said, to let things fester, but I didn't want things to, for, for lack of a better term, I'm going to use a saving private Ryan quote here. When, when the medics are checking all the wounded and he says, Hey, smell that leg and tell me if it's South of cheese. I, I didn't want that wound to be South of cheese for me. Yeah. It's so weird that you brought that up because that but, was and that's, one thing I wanted to talk about because it was like I wanted to cut it off and be and yeah. just be done. And, and, you know, it doesn't – whatever is happening at the PD, it doesn't bother me anymore. It's not my my stuff anymore. Yeah, and, and it's funny that you say that because my quote-unquote leg was more Munster cheese, almost provolone smelling <laughs> because it – it the real pro- provolone. On, the provolone. <laughs> you know, it had, it had basically taken a taken a mind of its own where I reveled in my old agency's um, mismanagement. And that just doesn't work, like, for long term. Like, it just internally just really, really screws you up. You had schadenfreude. You had it's it's a German term. It's happiness at the misfortune of others. Shot yeah, and 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 what does that say about me? Like our whole podcast was dedicated to mental health and well being, and and here I am preying on on other people's misery. Now, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. The people that put themselves in that situation that don't remove themselves from that toxic environment, um, I have no love for. Um, but it's still going on. It's still not at just that agency. It's all over the place. Where yeah, it is. It's all now. Now I'm in a now I'm in a job where I wake up every single day. I'm proud of what I do. I'm proud to be part of uh, a great team. I'm proud to. I drive on the road, and I can't pass a truck that doesn't have my company's name on it. And that's <laughs> you know. That's something. That's something to be proud of. It's and something to be proud of. Like you're paid what you're worth, um, and there's a tremendous amount of responsibility with what I do now. And now my whole job is um, helping other people realize, hey, you can leave law enforcement. There's a way better life out there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you need to readjust your financial situation if your whole life or your whole financial life was based around uh, working extra duty details, working overtime, working parades, basically no life to enjoy the things that you were working so hard for. And those are adjustments that you need to make. Now, if you bought yourself a house that you couldn't afford, unless you did those things, then then it's going to be tough to get out of that law enforcement hutch. Yep. Um, and, and I see a lot of that. I see a lot of cops, they go to buy a house, and what they do is is they plan ahead, which you know we're, we're known for. They start pounding overtime for, for two years so that when they show that 1099 or when they show that W-4, to the mortgage company they're making up here but what you don't realize is is that when you get hurt when you become disabled or when you decide that this job is not for you you're still your mortgage is up here man mm -hmm. your mortgage it is stays. up here it stays up there you can't call the mortgage company and say hey listen i'm not doing that overtime anymore so we got to kind of adjust this yeah they don't want to hear that they especially don't hear now that. dude the putin price hike is it's and, killing everybody and the only the reason why I can say that was is because I was that guy. Like my wife and I, we bought a house. I was making sergeants pay. I was making a tremendous amount of money with overtime and and extra details and all these other things. And when that went away, so did the house. Yeah. Like it it pained me to sell my house. Um, it was a house that my wife and I built. Like we picked everything out. From the floor to the ceiling, we picked everything out. And it was a big, big ego check for, for, for me. And, and, my, and my wife was, was super understanding. She was like, I don't care about the house. It's what's in the house that I care about. It's our family. Yeah. And she knew I was miserable at the job that I was at. And she kept saying, listen, this is just you buying your time. It's COVID, it's tough. People aren't hiring as much as they used to. And the moment I got the call from the place that I'm at right now, I've been on on cloud nine and I try and get other folks to to come on to this side um, and realize that law enforcement's great. Don't get me wrong. It teaches you mm -hmm. a lot of life lessons. It gives you a lot of training, but you got to do some soul searching. You got to look at what you're sacrificing for the pay and for your your mental health if you want to do that job for two to five years i'm all for it yep. anything past that yeah. i don't i don't speaking from somebody that did 20 years i could tell you that i probably did 10 years too much 10 years too much yeah um i probably did two two years too much That's... yeah yeah I, I mean i remember talking to you there were there were but there's one thing about you, and I remember this because I had the cafe at the time, and I used to go outside and talk to you on the phone while I was yeah. smoking a cigar. And I always remembered you didn't like throw in the towel right away. Like you were it fighting to give it every, but you were giving it your all. You you wanted it to be something better than what it was. You saw the potential in it, but you also understood that it has it had run its course you had seen the writing on the wall because had you have been still been there today the the trauma that you'd be dealing with right now oh, dude. i mean it, 
I look I at was, these folks I now, be, I, I can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, it's... I would be struggling to not suck start my block every yep. day at I stayed in. Like, yep. and that's that's the honest truth. Like, I, I tell people all the time, it, I have these conversations too with, with guys that are currently in, guys that want to jump into law enforcement. They're like, I just don't know. And I'm like, look, I've had this conversation. Like, it's a great job. I loved it. And, and it was it was everything to me. I mean, I, I, I grew up in it. It was, I, you know, for people that know me, they know that I grew up around it. So I spent 33 years in it, yep. in all reality. But to me, it was all I wanted to do. And then when I saw it not being what I wanted it to be anymore, I, I fought back tears every time somebody asked me if I would quit or if I still wanted to do it. Because it was like, I... I I wanted to do it so bad. Yeah. Like, and then when I saw that it wasn't going the way that I dreamed, it was like, what the hell happened? And it, you know, cause that was, I was going to do that for 35 years and then retire and die five years later. And it was like, <laughs> and now, now, it, it, now me, what am I going to do? You know, let me ask you, was it, was it the job itself, the mundane calls for service? ongoing or was it the behind the scenes stuff that folks don't see on live pd or whatever live pd is now that it's been renamed i, I don't i don't patrol yeah, live I don't know, or yeah whatever. patrol live but something something stupid like I, I think it was was a combination of everything you know that that was that's a question that i get asked by people that you know that, that we know as a family or whatever but we don't see all the time so they're like oh you know how how is it not being out what was it that you know, because they always want some juicy story about how I, you know, I had to shoot and kill somebody or some shit. You know, they always want some juicy story. Yeah. And it's like, look, it's it's not really that. It's It was a combination of 2020 hitting us so hard. Yeah. Like, I mean, because you know, I, I'm, I always make the, give the description that I got in before Ferguson. And then I was in for Ferguson after Ferguson and then 2020. And it was like. The, the the ups and downs in law enforcement in the in just those ten years alone were just mind blowing, and so I tell people it was that. I mean, there was there was a lot of inside stuff, you know, the, the behind the scenes stuff that's that's going on inside the PD that it's just like whether it was and you know like I said, I'm my animosity for this is gone. I don't care anymore. But whether it was you know, missed promotions or the way things are going that I think they should go another way, there was that. And then there was all the shit on the street. There was, yep. I would say that that was 50% of it, though. Like going to, to domestics all the time and dealing with, 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 with all that crap and, and, and being pushed to, to make traffic stops and, and everything. And it's like, it's like you, you know, we, we were told for a year that we had to sit in parking lots and do nothing. And then you're pushing us out the door saying, go out and do something and make money. And it's like, yep. well, hold on. Like, you know, we're getting slaughtered just for, for pulling people over or, you know, for showing up to a crash. It's like, let's let's take a step back here and join and, you know, regain people's trust again. And there was no, there was no slow ramp into that. It was, you know, boosters on and, you know, sent us out the door. It just... It was all of that combined, and I was just like, you know what? I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And and I I was more 90-10. I was more, you know, I was touched. So 
um, and not in a good way by my <laughs> former leadership. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and for me, I think I saw the writing on the wall with COVID. I saw that with uh, the Floyd case uh, and a couple of other cases like um, uh, Breonna Taylor case. I saw I saw uh, the writing on the wall, which was that when we went back to full enforcement, that the um, the benefit of the doubt was no longer there as an no. officer. No, it was and, definitely guilty until proven innocent. Right. And 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 it's interesting because I just had a phone call conversation a couple of days ago uh, with a former coworker of mine that was dismissed from my former agency. And he started to tell me about his internal investigation process of what happened when he got called by by internal investigations. And it brought back all these like all these memories of me having to go through all of that. But the interesting part was, is that I, he, he's going through a process right now to overturn what happened. And I, I remember saying to him, I was like, let me ask you a question. And I'm just going to call him uh, John Doe. I'm going to say, you know, John Doe, is the reason for going through all of this and, and grieving it and everything is, is it, is it to redeem yourself? Or is it to get everybody to believe that you're innocent of what happened? And I can tell you from somebody from experience, my motive was is to try and convince everybody that I didn't do what people had said I did in the agency to get me pushed out. And that's just, you know, two years have gone by. Now I think about that and I think how stupid that is. It's like the name of the wind. Time I, yeah, th how much time I would, because here's the thing is, I don't talk to any of them anymore. Yeah. I don't talk to any of them. People I've, that I've saved their jobs, people that I have done internal investigations on, people that I have left out stuff in internal investigations so that they can keep their jobs, I don't hear from them. Mm -hmm. So who do I care? Well, we beyond that, two like a week after you were gone, after it had you redeemed yourself, a week after you redeemed yourself and were gone, they'd fill your car. There would be somebody's oh, ass yeah. in that car seat. So it's like at that point, I, you, you fought know, so hard for nothing. And and I tell people on our, uh, I used to tell people on the roll call room podcast. I used to tell them all the time, if they can replace the chief of police, who's supposed to be number one, in a matter of, let's just say months. What do you think they're going to do to you? Some mm -hmm. guy that's like a police officer two or three or even a master police officer. You know, they're going to they'll get somebody to fill your rig for you. Uh, but the thing is, is what what I get a chuckle at now is, is that law enforcement is kind of at a pivotal point where they're hitting a roadblock where they can't even get folks to take the tests anymore. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw the picture. I have to send it to you. Chicago Police Department, one of the largest police departments underneath the NYPD, underneath the LAPD, big department. Nobody could argue that that Chicago's not. They took a picture of their new recruits that just started day one in the academy. They got all their suits on. They look nice and fresh and clean and scared. You know how many people were in that room? A hundred. Sixteen. 
Oh my gosh. 16. Aren't they usually classes that's of Chicago. like 300? It, uh, that's, 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 that's a brigade. They have oh several gosh. different brigades. Like NYPD is the same way. And the thing about it is, is when you look around, we're all cops. We can, we can look at folks and we can kind of size them up and down. And you look at that picture. I would say out of that 75% of them meet a criteria or meet a stereotype that law enforcement has created to fill asses in seats at academies. Mm-hmm. And that scares the hell out of me as a, as a former hard charger, because when I'm getting my ass handed to me, and I hear sirens in the background, I want to know that the people that are coming are going to roll up their sleeves and they're going to handle business. Yep. Is that happening now? I, I can't say that it is. One of my favorite memes that's going around is that that one that's like, uh, it says, hey, hey, everybody, come and meet the new recruits for the PD. And it's a picture of the island boys, you know, with the... Oh <laughs> But you, know, like, but you know, that's it's like, what it's turned into. It that's is. What it we're hiring. That's what we're hiring now is <laughs> you're, we're hiring folks that one can pass a background check that are squeaky clean. And I got to tell you, any cop worth their soil, worth their salt that I have ever worked for has had a checkered pass of some sort. And when I say checkered pass, folks, I don't mean they've committed multiple homicides. They were breaking into smoking cars. crack. Right. We're not talking, we're not talking about, you know, they're on the show intervention. Okay. (laughs) These are folks that have, uh, that have, uh, you know, in the fork in the road when they were teenagers Mm -hmm. or or past teenagers, they did a couple of things that were not so great. I happen to be in that category, but once I put the uniform on it, it, it gave me an advantage over other officers that have that squeaky clean never been in trouble, never done anything kind of thing, because it gives they you don't a trajectory, a, a place right. to go. Yeah. And, and, and you just, I think the scary part is, is with crime continuing to, to, to skyrocket in a lot of major uh, cities with folks like you and me and, and other people that are leaving either by quitting or through attrition and retirement, you don't have a skill set there to battle the drug epidemic, the the homicide epidemic, and all these other things that are skyrocketing that folks like you and me have seen um, in our in our day to day being a cop, like hand to hand transactions and nuisance crimes lead to bigger crimes, and we're just not seeing that. We don't see that skill set out right now. Uh, we see a lot of officers still parking in parking lots. They don't want to leave. Uh, they don't want to be proactive. And I get it. I get it because yeah. all it takes, uh, I had one officer from from West Coast reach out to me on Instagram, on, on the podcast Instagram, and they had said, you know, listen to one of your old episodes. And honestly, you know what happens now when I do traffic stops? As soon as I go up to the window and I get a... A, a sliver of attitude from the driver. I hand them back their license and I go, you have a great day. And I walk back to my car and I drive away Yeah. because it just isn't worth it. Yeah. Because if I write them a ticket, which they rightfully deserve, I'm going to get raked over the coals and I'm going to be put on administrative, <coughs> excuse me, administrative duty until they review my body cam footage 
and then rake me over the coals. What was the pro probable cause for the traffic stop? Um, could you have just warned them? Uh, all these other mitigating factors, except for being a cop, except yeah. for being for what you signed up for. And I don't think I would have survived in that anyway. Like, honestly, I don't I wouldn't have survived. Um, you know, it, it gets to the point and and you know I, I obviously i still talk to guys that are still on the job and it's like you know they, they want to get out and get after it and i know guys that are still doing it and then on the other side it's like i know guys that are like i'm gonna get paid the same amount of money for sitting in a parking lot you know i, I take my man. calls i go to, i go to my calls but i handle my calls yeah or, or they're the ones that chime up for every paper call so that mm -hmm. they're tied up on paper and at least they're doing something yeah, it, it, but yeah. every agency needs those. Like that's, they do, they do. So we had we had we had officers that were twenty four year veterans that were just basically they were paper pushers, and and every department needs that. You need that one guy or gal that chimes up for all the paper calls so that the hard chargers can go out and go do real police work. Yeah, it's been since time immemorial. I mean, it's it's just the way it's always been. Yeah. Um. But I tell you, you know, going back to the to the other to the circle uh, effect is like now that I'm not doing anymore, doing it anymore. You know, I spent almost 20 years doing it for the quote unquote cause. Um, I would have done it for free. I would have done it for for lunch money, man. But now uh, now it's more of like I want to get paid what I'm worth. I want to get what paid yes. what I'm worth. I want to turn around and be able to retire eventually and not retire and then work at Walmart handing out smiley stickers for me to be able to pay my health insurance. Yeah. I want to make enough money. Like that's where I'm at right now and call me selfish, but show me the money. Uh, and that's, that's no, just you know, pretty much how I am. always have this issue with, you know, they, they say, well, money is the root of all evil. No, no. The love <laughs> of money is the root of all evil. Right. That's that's there's a difference there. And yeah, actually, Andy Frisella had a, a good podcast about that. But I, I am in the same boat. I'm like, look, I, I, this is the phrase that I've said is that I, I was selfless for a lot of years. Now it's time for me to be a little selfish. And I'm OK with that. Like, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. I have no qualms with it. And, and I don't now, either. I don't feel guilty at all. Like um, I work for a company that that pays you what you're worth. And I got to tell you, you know, when I when I started work for this company, um, it was probably the hardest interview process that I've ever gone through in my life. Harder than being a cop. No kidding. And I couldn't understand why that was. I mean, it was hard, bro. I mean, when I say hard, um, it was way hard, way harder than a panel interview for law enforcement. Anything that I went through to get hired at two different agencies. And I couldn't understand why, or I mean, I could understand why, but once I got in and I started to see my peers around me, then I understood why yeah. was because they focus so much on your leadership skills and so much on um, you preparing for the interview that when you get in, you're surrounded by people that are at the same caliber, caliber of you as you, or if not better, and you will look around and you're like, holy shit, no wonder why this company makes so much money is they have a lot of smart fucking people working for them. Yeah. And 
there's a reason for that. And um, it's very, very unique. And, I, and, and, and I've been there for a while now. And I, I, I constantly say to myself, if we could just integrate this company's principles into law enforcement, we would have a lot less problems than what we have in law enforcement. One of which would be 85% of the leadership in law enforcement would not be there anymore. They would not I, be able I, to, to, yeah. to execute at I, that level. I, I get that. I, I think in the next 10 years, we're going to have a huge shift in that, in that leadership. We're going to need it. Well, I mean, you're, you're going to have to have it because the, the cops that are the chiefs and stuff now are the guys that were the hard chargers in the 90s. They're coming up for retirement. Like we're going to have a big paradigm shift here. And, and I, yeah. I think, I think it'll be for the better, honestly, be, right. because and it's going to be the younger generation. Here's the other thing is it's not just the law enforcement top leadership that needs to retire. It's some of these organizations and associations that these law enforcement agencies go to for guidance and for policy oh, yeah. guidance. And I see that now being out of it for a long time is you've got a lot of law enforcement agencies and I won't name any specifically because I don't want to get sued um, specifically ones that let's say chiefs of police that specifically go to that refuse to talk about really really pressing issues right now like mental health for law enforcement and the suicide rate they refuse to talk about it yeah. and that's a problem that's a huge huge problem and any organization that that um, gives advice or policy advice to law enforcement agencies that's not willing to talk about that, that's a problem. See, that's I, a major, I, major problem. I think that's a lot mostly in the larger PDs. Um, I know that in my former department, they they started a like peer-to-peer -peer counseling, which I'm like, yep. fantastic, good for you Dynamite. guys, it's awesome. Um, you know, Nick Wilson with the, the Resiliency Project, uh, he, he does a lot with some smaller departments and everything. I, he came into to Fishers, Indiana last summer and did a two-day session, you know, two different courses. And it was, I mean, it's, he, there's, there's a lot, I think, in mental health and law enforcement being pushed on the smaller departments. Yeah. Because in all honesty, I, I think those are, that's the most important ones because they're the guys that are getting hammered with the calls over and over because there's not... 50 guys working a shift that's five right. and right. it's like you know you're you're that's how we were i mean our, you know we were six seven eight nine per shift and it was like it sounds like a lot of guys but it's like yeah it, it's not if you're busy it's you know you're going to the same my, house four times a night my hope is is that a lot of these peer-to-peer -peer, um mental health uh assistance programs and and and, and different things are not just check boxes also yeah. uh, because we we see a lot of that where uh chiefs are like let's create this because if something happens we can say hey we had this here mm -hmm. and this officer just didn't utilize it that's almost the that's, same thing as the fbi saying yeah we were, we knew about this shooter before it all happened and it's like well why didn't you do anything about it <laughs> yeah 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 like like and and I see a, I see a lot of that a lot of like my my first my first book just celebrated its um, its third uh, no second anniversary 
And so I'm always blown away by what like people that write to me or email me and talk about that first book. And they're like, you know, my department is doing this program and it's DOA right from the beginning because the person who's running it is the captain who everybody can't stand. Mm-hmm. And or it's a program, but the policy, the the general orders don't allow a peer support person to be with somebody during a sh- after a shooting and their conversation is confidential. And that is a major, major problem. You got a lot of peer support programs that are like, yes, you can go console that that officer that just got into a shooting. But bear in mind, anything that they tell you, you have to tell us in an administrative investigation. Yeah. And so I'm the person that just got into a shooting. Am I going to talk to a peer support person? Because anything I tell you. Yeah. Goes right to II or goes to the detectives. So there are a lot of parameters that need to be met for it to be a meaningful peer support uh, program. Yeah. Um, I think we've come miles, man. I mean, from oh, two yeah. years ago to now, even talking about law enforcement, suicide and mental health was like taboo two years ago. Mm-hmm. Like it was terrible. You couldn't, no, you I remember couldn't when talk you guys first it. started. Yeah. I remember when you guys first started the podcast and it was like, that was like, uh, you know, you, you guys kept talking about how you continued to receive messages from guys that like you almost like talked them off the bridge. And it was like, it was so silent of, yeah. it was, it was the silent killer of law enforcement. It, it literally was. And it was like, I mean, I, you know, I, we lost a guy in 2019, I think. So it was before 2020, but like, I mean, from my, my old hometown and, you know, I don't know if it was the job or, you know, culmination of everything, but it's like, you don't realize how, how loud it is until it happens to somebody, you know, then it's like, you know, it's almost like it was staring you in the face. And I'll I tell you, this is one of the, one of the proud moments. Like when I go on, um, I'll do podcast uh, searches every once in a while. Uh, this is no big secret. I've been texting you like the last couple of weeks about maybe starting the Roll Call Room podcast up again. Uh, and it's not it's it's not because I don't want to. It's just that one, I want the message to be different. And two, I needed to get to a place where I'm okay to start doing that again because it was yeah. starting to like really run my life. And right now my life is just, it's on a good path and I really don't want to kind of screw that up. So, yeah. uh, but one thing that I did when I, when I decided, like when I started to think about bringing the Roll Call Room podcast back was I started to research what new podcasts are out there that are, and, and it warms my heart because there's hundreds of podcasts that were not around two years ago talking about law enforcement, mental health, mm-hmm. um, and, and and options and stuff like that. What's not out there is that raw talk of, you know, shit's fucked up and it shouldn't be, and it's not all the officer's fault. Yeah. And the reason being is is that the only people that can really talk about that are the people that are out of the out of the game. That well, are out I of mean, the profession. You know, there's the Ten Eight podcast. You know, Charlie. Yep. You remember Ten Eight. Yep. Uh, he his his show's great, and he he doesn't mm-hmm. he leaves no stone unturned yep. uh, when it comes to his show. So you know you got to give 
you know, there's some free props to to ten eight, but uh, there's some, yeah, so, there's some good so, shows out there. Yeah, and then but there's other ones that are out there that started with the intent to really give the true, like, hey, listen, folks, this is what's going on that you're not seeing, and then they get hammered, man. One show in particular, which I will not name, because uh, they're good friends of mine, is, is what they when they started the show. They called me. They asked for advice. I helped them out. You know, helped them out with like, you know, the the program that we use. I did the same thing like when you started. Yeah. Give you the program to use and all that stuff. And immediately, like three three episodes in, their leadership started fucking with them, bro. Mm -hmm. Started started getting them to the point where both of them transferred out of their department yeah. and left. And, and it baffles my mind because. You know, if you're on a show and you're just bad mouthing your agency and with no substance and you're saying, you know, Lieutenant uh, Jones, you're a piece of crap uh, and I hate you. You don't know how to talk to people. Man, you're going to get next. Oh, yeah, for sure. But if you got context and you're talking about gen generalities when it comes to mental health and the only thing that I can reference is, let's say, the roll call room. You, you listen to those first episodes of the first season. We were very, very careful. Oh, yeah. Hell, people didn't even know what state we were in until season two. Yeah. They didn't even know what agency we worked in until until season two. So yeah. Mike and I were very, very careful when it came to that. But what it, what it is is there's a fear of, of some of this law enforcement leadership where they're like, shh, you yep. can't talk about that stuff. Yep. And that seems to be the problem is you have a recruiting problem, you have a public trust problem, and you have a you have podcasts out there that are telling the truth. Why don't you bring them together? Why don't you get some community people in on some of these podcasts and have an open forum to talk about well, racism, inequality, gentrification, yeah. all these different hot topics. The thing that always bothered me was like, is that secret squirrel shit? Yes. Like, I mean, like, in all honesty, 99% of what law enforcement does is public knowledge. All right, everybody, that seems like a pretty good place to stop for today. So make sure you tune in next week for part two of my episode with Nick Ruggiero. Uh, if you haven't already, jump over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to it. Rate this podcast. Give me a five-star rating. Give me a review on there. Um, and check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook if you haven't already. Um, so, yeah, hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, tell all your friends, share the show, and as always, six sip or vive. Always live like this.